0: Take your Bible, please, and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. As Andre mentioned, last week we began a series, a brief three-part series on community. As we launch into another year. I, along with our elders and staff want to continue emphasizing the importance of Christian community. We also want to make known some of the specific steps we aim to take as a church in the coming months. The three parts of this series are, in fact, the main points to be presented at next week's directional meeting. They are a community in community, a community in prayer, and a community on mission. And so as, uh, as was mentioned last week, you, you may want to take notes specifically during this series so that you can reflect on the biblical texts and the points being made uh, in preparation for our meeting next Sunday. And if you missed last week, Uh, I would encourage you to either listen online or podcast or get a copy of the sermon uh, just so that you can be caught up and aware of where we're going. Using the early church as our guide, my goal in this series is to strengthen authentic biblical community in our church by building meaningful connection and cohesion among our members and ministries to strengthen authentic biblical community in our church by building meaningful connection and cohesion among our members and ministries. And last week, from Acts two, we saw how the church was devoted to the fellowship, and we considered how the New Testament describes this fellowship—that the church is is as One temple of many stones, or one body of many parts, or one family of many members. And we talked about church membership, about spiritual gifts, and about participating in fellowship. And I asked you to make Sunday church attendance a priority and to continue in fellowship during the week and to encourage each other often in the work of the Lord because your labor in the Lord is never in vain. These things and more, they contribute to a community in community to the fellowship to which the early church was so clearly devoted. And they were devoted to prayer also. And so today, in consideration of a community in prayer, we look uh, again to their example by turning to Acts chapter 4. There is no question that the church in Acts was a praying church. In fact, I cannot think of a single church, past or present, that we might look to as a good model that was not or is not a praying church. This morning, I want to explore some biblical foundations of a community in prayer. How we might cultivate, continue cultivating a community in prayer, and then participate with the community in prayer. Prayer is the lifeblood of any healthy church. If God's word is the heart, prayer is the blood that moves through the heart and then sent from the heart throughout the body. And as we come to this chapter, we find yet another instance where this is so clearly seen. So let's read it together. Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through verse 21. I'm sorry, 31. Verse 23 through verse 31. When they were released... They, meaning Peter and John, we'll talk about that in a moment. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, By the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness let's pray Father what a What a joy, privilege, blessing it is to gather before your word and hear again your heart and your will for your people. and we take we pause to take a moment just to recognize that you are here in this place and indeed you reign from heaven above over all things we acknowledge you as as the preeminent one which we were so wonderfully reminded of this morning that there is not A circumstance or anything that comes our way or anything in this world that has not first passed by your sovereignty. That you have all things under control. That you are somehow, even in ways we don't understand, you are in all things. And in fact, working all things to the good of those who love you and are called by you. And so we thank you for this confidence we have in you. We thank you that you have drawn us to yourself, that we are yours, you are ours. And all the privilege and blessing and strength and encouragement that Brings. We confess that there are moments, perhaps more than a few, many moments when we neglect or forget this reality, and we lean upon our own strength or upon our own wisdom, and we we move and it, according to our own ingenuity, and 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 we. And one side of our mouth, we acknowledge your reign, and yet we live sometimes as if, uh, as if you're no longer on the throne, or, or on one side of the, our mouths, we, we, we uh, declare our praise, and yet on the, uh, uh, out of the other side, or on the other hand, we are uh, entertaining sin or sinful thoughts, and so we come to you in need of, of cleansing, and we confess to you, our sin those moments great and small when we have turned and we cling to this great promise you make that if any confesses their sin you are faithful and just to forgive and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So even in these moments right now, would would you move among us in a way that would cause us to confess? And then, would you even now purify us sanctify us consecrate us and teach us that we might move forward from this place this morning with peace And joy and purpose according to your word. Teach us now from your word through Christ. Amen. From this passage, I want to highlight four things. Concerning the church in Acts and its example of a community in prayer. And the four things are these. Here we see their reason for prayer, verse 23, their reliance on prayer, verses 24 through 28 their specific request in prayer, verses 29 and 30, and then God's response to their prayer, verse 31. The reason they prayed, simply put, was because they were under threat. Earlier in this chapter, the apostles Peter and John are arrested because of their involvement in the healing of a man who couldn't walk, as is recorded in chapter 3. And the man's healing drew a large crowd, as you can imagine, and many people placed their trust in the Lord, which drew the ire of the Jewish authorities who were trying so desperately and yet so unsuccessfully to squelch the growing excitement over Christ and this newly birthed Christian movement. And appearing before the Jewish rulers, Peter and John testified to the power and grace of God that salvation has been made available by God in Christ, whom they, the rulers themselves, had crucified. Stunned by their witness, since Peter and John were just common men, the authorities conferred and warned them to cease talking about Jesus And threatening them with further consequences if they continue. And so, when they, Peter and John, uh, were released, verse 23, they went to their friends, that is the church, and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them, which prompted the church to pray. They prayed. Because their witness in the world was being opposed by the world. Hear this. They were on mission and their mission wasn't easy. And so they had two options essentially. Either they could ease off the mission or they could press on in spite of the possible ramifications, which is what they did. Because their safety lied not in the absence of opposition, but in the presence of Almighty God. They relied on prayer because they relied on God, who is sovereign over all and able to accomplish all. So in verses 24 through 28, the congregation recounts the attributes of God. They exalt God as Lord and the creator of all things, verse 24. They celebrate God as all-knowing, verse 25. They declare, as David did, that God's enemies plot in vain because God uses even their evil intent to accomplish his good and perfect and eternal will. It's verses 27 and 28. They affirm God's power, knowing that God's purposes, all of God's purposes, will prevail. Opposition from the world, though real, is futile because God always wins. Always. And in just a few chapters, we see just a wonderful example of this in Saul. Saul of Tarsus was fiercely attacking the church until Jesus literally stopped him in his tracks. When Jesus decided that enough was enough, that was it. game over. And Jesus saves Paul, or Saul. Saul becomes the Apostle Paul. And now as a born-again Christian and a member of the church he once persecuted, he spent the rest of his life working tirelessly, tirelessly to advance the mission he once opposed. Church, hear this. We need another healthy dose of confidence in God I love the songs that Frank chose for us this morning I don't know what you're facing today there is power in the name of Jesus Christ what a wonderful powerful name it is there he has no rival he has no equal He is preeminent over all. Do we really think, do we really suppose God is wringing His hands over what's going on in the world today? Do, Do we think He is even slightly, even slightly caught off guard? Is God pacing nervously to and fro, just hoping for a right outcome? Or at least one that's not too terribly wrong. No, Psalm 115 and really the whole of Scripture declares our God does whatever He pleases. We need a healthy dose of confidence in God. And so, relying on God, who is sovereign over all and able to accomplish all, they request two main things from the Lord. In verse 29, they seek boldness in speaking the Word of God, while in verse 30, they basically ask God to affirm His Word in obvious ways. Now, why boldness? I mean of all things why is boldness why was boldness foremost on their on their minds So we're right there's two of their key leaders the apostles arrested threatened they come back and report Think of the myriad of things they could have prayed for. Lord, we pray for Your protection. We pray for Your peace. We pray for Peter and John. What a tremendous ordeal that must have been for them. And please help them to recover. But they pray for boldness. Because they knew That stepping out in faith is inherently risky. They knew that the more active their witness, the greater the opposition and thus the greater temptation, the greater the temptation to pull back. They knew. They knew. As we do. But apart from God's work in us, we'd much prefer comfort over spiritual combat. And so I just find some encouragement here in this verse from their example. Because by praying for boldness, they show that witnessing for Christ wasn't easy for them. Either. Just as, is, just as it isn't always easy for us. And if not for the power and presence of God, they likely would have bowed out. But instead of giving up, they prayed up. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In response to their prayers, God moved. He moved literally the place where they gathered what I really want you to see is he moved them out from the place into the world. They were filled anew with the Spirit of God and they continued testifying boldly to the Word of God. This was a praying congregation and granted an exceptional time in the life of that church. Although we live at a much different time, and a much different part of the world, do we not still face many of their, the same fears and obstacles? And do we not still pray to the same God? And so what can we learn from their example? What can we learn from their example? And more to the point, how can we, as a church body, as a local congregation, how can we, continue cultivating a community in prayer. And I'm proposing three things specifically. Number one, we will reinforce the high value of corporate prayer. We will reinforce the high value of corporate prayer. Now I am sure, I am sure that nearly all of you are regular in individual prayer that's fantastic but we will reinforce the high value of corporate prayer i want you to look again at verse 24 it says they lifted their voices together to god and the key word here is the word together They all gathered to grab hold of the throne of God together. There's a difference between individual prayer and corporate prayer. In individual prayer, I'm coming to God, responding to God, from my own limited point of view. It's all about my understanding of God in that moment, my experience with God, my perspective on the, of the situation at hand. But, but in corporate prayer, my understanding and my experience and my perspective grows as I not only gather with, but hear from others, As they respond to God from their respective points of view, corporate prayer resituates us back into the congregation, which helps keep us from this narrow, individualistic approach to Christianity. One of the great benefits of corporate prayer then is that it fosters unity in the church and love for other church members as we hear and pray for the things on their hearts while they hear and pray for the things on ours. (coughs) And I want you to know that we're currently reviewing our approach to corporate prayer, corporate prayer, particularly our church's Wednesday night prayer meeting. Obviously, we'd love to see more people coming together to pray. Uh, honestly, I, I would love to participate far more than I do. So we're rethinking these things. We're wondering aloud what would work for more people, perhaps a monthly or quarterly uh, meeting instead. I recently met with a group of area pastors to ask them and talk about uh, what corporate prayer looks like in their respective churches, what they do or don't do. And this week we're meeting with a couple of folks from our church to, to consider the options, including maybe new ways we can encourage corporate prayer, uh, which may be things like prayer walks or prayer vigils or even set times of fasting and prayer. Meanwhile, we continue encouraging your involvement in the weekly prayer chain so that you can pray for others in the church regularly. We continue encouraging your involvement in weekly life groups or Bible studies or ministry teams so that you can pray in small groups on a consistent basis and we continue encouraging your involvement in Sunday morning post-service prayer so that you can be supported while others pray for you. By these and other means, we will reinforce the high value of corporate prayer. Number two, we will pray big prayers. Frankly, just to say it out loud scares me. (laughs) If our God has no rival, no equal, if He Is sovereign over all and able to accomplish all. If He is that big, why are my prayers so small? I'm currently reading through the Bible chronologically. And I recently found myself in First Chronicles chapter 4. First Chronicles begins with a series of genealogies, and chapter 4 lists the descendants of Judah, and among those listed is a man named Jabez. I suspect some of you know the name. And Jabez, we're told, is an honorable man who's best known for a specific request he asked of God that God would bless him and enlarge his borders and walk with him and keep him. And then first Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10 says simply, and God granted. What he asked. And I've been mulling this over uh, for the last couple of weeks because this is all we know of Jabez. That's it. This is all we know of Jabez. Two verses. So many of the genealogies listed in 1 Chronicles and throughout Scripture, they list just one name after the other, after the other, but not Jabez. When God chronicled the tribes of Israel, including the people of Judah, He chose to add commentary on Jabez. And I've been asking myself, why? 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 Why name after name after name after name? But when we get to Jabez, why, God, did you add that commentary? And could it be, could it be that God wants us, even invites us, to look to Jabez for an example in prayer? Is it possible that in our effort to be humble in prayer, which is good, or to avoid possible disappointment. We prefer smaller, more manageable prayers that rarely stretch the limits of our faith. Now I know, I suspect that some of you are even a little nervous. Because I know there was a prayer of Jabez movement that circulated among churches in the early 2000s. And I was skeptical then and still skeptical of that movement now because for my tastes, it it appears a, a bit too mechanical and forced and formulaic as if we only need to pray certain prayers or we only need to plug certain prayers into, at certain times into certain equations. And it felt a bit to me that the emphasis was on personal or church gain for gain's sake only, which borders too closely to a name-it-and-claim-it approach, in my opinion. So I'm not advocating that at all. In fact, I'm not concerned as much for the specific outcome of prayer as I am the prayer itself and the faith it requires. Ephesians 3.20 declares that God can do... Far more abundantly than all we ask or think. James 4.2 says we have not because we ask not. Or because we ask with selfish, selfish, selfish motives. So I'm simply saying, church... That as a church united in purpose, we, in the spirit of Jabez, must remember that God is able and thus bring all our requests to Him, including the big, seemingly unattainable ones, seeking the fullest magnification of His glory possible. I want God to enlarge our borders. To expand the scope of our ministry, both near and far. I want to see this building filled to capacity so that we can begin building the rest of the building. I want to see greater impact in our neighboring community, more inroads. I want churches planted by our church, and I want to still be around to see those churches plant churches. so i 'm tempted to say something like let's pray for ten new families or ten baptisms, or better yet ten conversions i'm tempted to target at least a at least a twenty five percent growth uh, in in a 25% numerical growth and the subsequent jump in financial resources. I'm tempted to put measurable figures on specific areas of our ministry, but frankly, it seems so arbitrary and so controlling, which what I really want are those things that are far beyond our control. George Mueller, a man very familiar with big prayers and big answers to prayer, once said, The greater the difficulty to be overcome, the more it will be seen to the glory of God how much can be done by prayer and faith. There's just an undeniable relationship in Scripture between God's work and In and through his people and the prayers of his people. Big prayers fuel healthy dependence on the Lord, so we will pray big prayers. Number three, we will seek more of the Holy Spirit in prayer. I'm not expecting... I'm not expecting the walls of this place to shake when we pray as they did when they prayed. Although certainly that could happen. And if it did, we'd never forget it. What I I really want is I want to trust God more. I want us to trust God more and thus see more tangible evidence of His presence. More tangible evidence of His presence. Whether it's a shaking building or a changed life. I mean, having already received the Spirit, let me ask you, don't you want more of His fruit in your life and in our church? I mean, there's this, there's this difference. There's just a difference between receiving the Spirit and being filled by the Spirit. All who are born by the Spirit of God receive the Spirit of God and indwelling each believer. He is changing you, sanctifying you, from the inside out, you are God's workmanship. And in God's wisdom and grace, you play an important part in the process. That's why we're told to not quench the Spirit or grieve the Spirit. Instead, we're to walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. We're told to be filled with the Spirit, which means, which means we have at least some say in the matter. Even Jesus said that if that if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father in heaven give the holy spirit to those who ask him. Churchgoers today seemingly take one of two extremes, Either they strive in their own strength and just give the Spirit a passing nod, or they don't strive at all. As if just expecting the Spirit to wave a magic wand. So over the past year or two, we've stressed the importance of being intentional, particularly when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission and the Spirit of the Great Commandment. But our greatest ally in advancing God's kingdom is not a good strategy, but the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The church in Acts was a spirit-seeking, spirit-empowered congregation, a community in prayer. They trusted in the Spirit as they went forth in His presence and power. And I want more of that. I want more of that. I want us to experience more of that. So we will seek more of the Holy Spirit in prayer. Amen. So having considered the biblical foundations of a, com- a community in prayer, in some ways we will continue cultivating a community-, community in prayer, how can you participate with the East Parkway community in prayer? A recent blog made the following observation. Every Christian wants to be part of a church that prays. But few Christians seem willing to commit themselves to the work of prayer. Every Christian wants to be part of a prayerful congregation, but most are willing to let others be the ones who pray. So how can you avoid falling into this all too common trap? How can you participate with the East Parkway community in prayer And I have three basic suggestions. This is nothing new. Nothing new. Just simple reminders. Number one, pray for and with your church. Pray for and with your church. This morning, like nearly every Sunday morning, I gathered with members of the music team to pray. We prayed for the service, but far more than the service itself, we prayed for each other and for the people who'd attend the service, we prayed for you. We prayed for you this morning. Be encouraged that people were praying for you as you made your way to this place. Last Sunday after the service, I looked over to this prayer corner And saw two people bowing in prayer together. The Sunday before that, two weeks ago, I I saw a small group of three or four there in that back corner gathered in prayer. Hardly a Sunday passes when there are not at least some somewhere in the church praying for one another. And this is so good. This is so good. This is such a wonderful opportunity we have on a regular basis. In your program, each Sunday, you'll find people to pray for throughout the week as we pray through the directory together. In your email inbox, if you're on the prayer chain, You'll receive requests from members of your church almost daily, inviting you into their lives as they request your prayers. Whenever you gather in your life groups or Bible studies or ministry teams, make sure to make time to pray with one another. Pray for your church whenever possible. Pray for church members and for our church's ministry. Pray through the individual ministries within the church, as well as our collective ministry as a church. Pray for changed lives. Pray for ongoing sanctification. Pray for new converts. Pray for broader disciple-making efforts. Pray for our part in advancing the gospel. Pray for and with your church. Number two. Pray for the lost in your life. Pray for the lost in your life. Have you ever noticed how praying for someone deepens your affection and understanding? Is that not true? Have you ever noticed how when you pray for someone, it deepens your affection and your understanding? The very act of looking upon their face with your mind's eye while thinking through their situation somehow has a softening effect on your own heart. The more you ponder, the more you pause to ponder their need and bring their need before the Father, the deeper your concern for their well-being, right? Even those with whom we may be at odds or perhaps don't like very much. Somehow become more real to us, more human, with real human needs as we take real interest in them and pray for them. prayer helps us to sympathize. And I'm asking you to sympathize with the lost in your life. And by lost, I just mean those people who know not God and are therefore wandering through life aimlessly, spiritually speaking, on a course that leads to death. They may be members of your family or associates at work or classmates at school. Or neighbors on your street, and sometimes it just means stopping to remember them. We know, of course, Jesus, being sympathetic to our plight, came to seek and save the lost. So pray for the lost in your life. And then, number three, this is risky. Pray for boldness in reaching the lost. Pray for boldness in reaching the lost. The obvious next step after praying for the lost is praying to reach them. And this is more than just praying for opportunities. I suspect we have plenty of those. This is praying specifically for boldness so that when those opportunities present themselves, we won't shrink back or shy away. I want you to know I'm praying these prayers in my life. And I'll share a story next week about this. Because I want God to do a work in my heart like that which He did in the hearts of these early believers. I want to be free from the fear of opposition and what others may think. Free from the tyranny of self preservation at all costs. Free to follow Jesus wherever he may lead. I want to continually, continually, I want to continually experience the wonder of God's saving work in my life and the wonder of participating in his saving work in the lives of those around me. It's what I want for my family. I don't want my kids to just hear about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, but to experience Him firsthand. I want them to know God. I want them to know God, not from a distance, but personally. I want them to be... So transformed by God, they'll be unafraid to stand before any man and testify that God is good and that God gloriously saves through Christ and Christ alone. I don't want their experience of salvation to be stories found in books only or in videos they watch. I want them to experience the joy and wonder of being saved to Christ and then leading others to Christ as well it's what I want for you it's what I want for our church I don't want us to grow comfortable in our own privatized Christian experience I don't want us to be okay with being okay just coming to church or doing church I want us to be the church I want us to experience and understand we are the appointed means by which God has chosen to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. We are the primary means by which God is transforming the world. And so dear, dear, dear East Parkway, be not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Listen, 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 listen. Belief begins with you. It starts here. It starts in the church. It starts in your heart. Your heart is God's mission field. You will not have a heart for the lost until you have a heart for God. Missions and evangelism clearly have horizontal aims, but it's actually more vertical in nature. That's the takeaway from this passage. Unless the gospel is in you and the Holy Spirit has access to a surrendered heart, what's the point? But when we pray for boldness, we're admitting we're nervous. We're afraid. Or unsure. Or whatever it is that keeps us quiet, but we're also reaffirming that God is able to equip us for the task to which He's called us. And once our confidence lies firmly with God, once you begin to really trust Him in real time throughout your real everyday life, it's then when you'll be so much more apt to speak the truth of His Word. In His name. So pray for boldness in reaching the lost. When we trace how the church in Acts prayed, and I did that this week, I I traced how the church in Acts prayed. Why, when, and for what they prayed, these themes emerge over and over and over again, they prayed for each other, they prayed for the lost, and they prayed to reach the lost. I did this all for the fame of God's name as they took His good news of full forgiveness and freedom from sin to a world that needs it. That's what I'm appealing for. Those are the kinds of prayers that mark a praying church. And so may we, each one of us, may we consecrate ourselves to God again and pray in like manner. Amen. I just want to give you opportunity in just this moment of quiet to reflect on these things and again, just privately, silently, where you are, anything you'd want to say to the Lord, any confession of sin, any admission of fear. I want to give you opportunity to pray for someone in the church. If someone comes to mind, I want to give you opportunity to pray for someone in your life who doesn't know the Lord. And I want to give you opportunity as their face passes by your mind's eye and. give you opportunity to pray for boldness to reach them you, Father, for ministering to us this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those who uh, have gone before us and who provide for us such a necessary example of faith and obedience purpose I pray that pray and I ask God that you would continue to refine us and use us for the advancement of your kingdom in our own lives and communities and even across the world. Make us to be praying people and a praying church. Help us to be not like that statement that we all want a praying congregation, but no one really wants to pray. We don't want that to be true of us, God. So deepen our affection for the church. For the people in this room. Even for members of this church who aren't here this morning. Deepen our affection and our concern for one another. Deepen our affection and our concern for those people in our lives who do not know you. But who need to know you. And then God, please give us the necessary boldness to trust You and to step out in faith and speak in Your name and leave the results to You for Your glory. This we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.